0: Well, welcome to Sunny Hill, if it's your first time with us, it's great to have you here. My name is Richard, I'm one of the leaders here. We love being with you. Megan, I'm going to move these, and it could all go horribly wrong now, because who knows what's going to happen. It's great that you're with us. Dom and we send their greetings. They're over at our Ferndown campus today, because our Ferndown campus pastors are away on holiday. Um, and unlucky for you all, you were supposed to have Kevin Sissons today bringing the word, which would have been great but he's lost his voice, and everybody's disappointed except one person in the room. Shout out to Julie, his wife, who seems excited by that. I don't know why. No, I'm just joking. So please be praying for Kevin. He's had an ongoing thing happening, and so please do be praying for him. So you got me today, and there are still another two more of the Orchard series after this. We've got Gentleness next week, and then after that, Dom's going to be doing Self-Control. Dom Self-Control. There we are. Just on the side, £150 for our work in Jordan. It's got to be done because I am desperate to shave that moustache. I am absolutely desperate. And if you think I'm desperate, Louise is desperate that that thing goes. But we wanted to give you a heads up because next week, you're going to have a chance to be more generous than just giving for us saving a moustache. We're going to be doing a special offering next week which will be over and above our regular tithes and offerings, but really going, this is our generosity for the work happening in Jordan and for Phil and Joe. And so Phil's going to be bringing the Word next week. We're really excited about that. And uh, you're going to have an opportunity to be able to give towards that work. So really spend this week praying about that and just seeing what God wants you to give next week. We're really expectant that God is going to really move through us as Sunny Hill to support some of the amazing things. And I've had some time with these guys God is doing some amazing things through them out there. So be excited about next week. Now, you may look at me and think I don't look like an outdoor kind of guy. Maybe the beard deceives me. I'm not an outdoor kind of guy. I actually hate the outdoors. I would be happy if the entire world was paved. I'd be really pleased with that. But when I was younger, I was a Cub and a Scout, so I did have my fair share of outdoors. And you know when you have a moment that you can like reflect on and it takes you back instantly, I don't know if you have that, just those experiences where even now if you just think of them, immediately you can go back to that time. I'm a child of the 90s, there are certain songs that kick in, it takes me back. I remember the first time I ever went to a boy-girl dance, I can remember the song that takes me back there, do the locomotion, Kylie Minogue. I'm not going to do the dance, you can't do the dance by yourself, you can't do the dance by yourself. It takes me right back. I can remember the experience. I can remember how I felt. I can remember what went on there. But there was this time when I was a cub. I was really young, just came into Cubs. And they were having a massive kind of gathering. I don't know what they call it. Like everybody from Cubs and Scouts and things got together. And the leader of the entire group was a fantastic storyteller. And he was telling the story about the power of fire. He was talking about the power of fire. And we were all sitting in a massive circle, and there was this massive pile of wood that had been built. And as he was telling the story about fire, he would build it up to a crescendo, and then look at the fire, and call out flame from the fire, and nothing happened. You carry on telling the story, building it, and building expectation. And I remember being a cub, I can still go right back there in my mind, sitting and thinking, Come on, fire is going to come out of this thing. It's going to happen. Story, story. Call out fire. Nothing. Build it up more until the entire place. Maybe 100, 120, 130 of us. So expectant that fire is going to come out. Now, what we didn't know is they had doused this wood with petrol. And a lot of petrol. Then they had run a piece of fishing gut up into a tree, really high up. And there was a guy dressed kind of like a ninja. I've got no other way to describe it. All black, black mask, sitting with a piece of fire lighter that had a hole drilled in it that was running through the gut and a lighter. And when he finally crescendoed and our expectation was so high, this guy simply lit the fire lighter and let it go. And I'm telling you, I can remember this. It was as if fire ran down from heaven into this pile of wood, and this thing went up like it exploded. So much so that everyone sitting there had to move back. It was so hot. But we were blown away. We were like, You have called fire out of heaven into this wood, and it is gone. Go back in my mind to that day, I can remember it. I remember being awed and amazed, like, what has just happened? I can remember the heat, the smell. I can remember bits of wood getting blasted out, some people getting burnt. It was a, it was, I, lived, I grew up in South Africa, health and safety. Yeah. So it was, it was a great time. And it's an interesting thing, because I think when we think about faith, we have the same idea in our head. I think we see... Faith, kind of like a bucket that we need to have filled. And when we get enough of it, it will make God do things. Like we have this bucket, and when there's enough expectation in us, or enough certainty, or enough belief that something's going to happen, if we get it just to the right level, fire will come down from heaven and blow the thing up. And it's how we live our lives we think faith is all about the outcome of something now i want you to stick with me when i was explaining this and speaking through my preach with my wife we got into a heated debate over this so i'm not changing what i'm saying because of what she said she's wrong she's not in the room so i can say that she's out with the kids she was wrong no But we had an interesting conversation, and it really kind of provoked thinking for both of us. And so I hope today to provoke something in you as you think about faith, because I think we've made faith an outcome. There is something we desire, we want, or we need. And here we've got a bucket. And we think, if I can get enough of this faith thing in this bucket, it's going to make God produced the outcome that I'm kind of filling the bucket with. And as long as I reach the level, whatever that level is, that will be like the lighter that triggers the fire lighter that will run down and cause this outcome. In Hebrews, we read this, in Hebrews 11, and I'm just going to grab my Bible. Sorry, I don't have any, we don't have a thing today, I don't know where it is, so... I probably won't use that as it. But it says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. And actually, when I read that, I feel like that's exactly what it's saying. Like, if I can have enough confidence and hope In some outcome, it will make God produce that outcome. Is everybody tracking with me? It's interesting, though. Because I think that there's something that happens in Hebrews 11 that I never noticed until I was prepping up this verse. Now, we're doing a discussion about faithfulness because we're in the fruit of the Spirit, which is in Galatians 5. And you may be going, why are you talking about faith? We should be talking about faithfulness. Here's the kicker. The word faithfulness that's used in Galatians 5 in the fruit of the Spirit is exactly the same word that the Hebrew writer uses for faith in Hebrews 11. Not a derivative of it, not a version or variation of it, exactly the same word it's weird to me one of the fruits of the spirit is faithfulness this is faith and yet it's the same word which means faithfulness and faith could be interchanged swapped it's the same word no matter what you say the same word. So, if that's true, what's going on here? Because I just wonder, what happens if God isn't concerned about your outcome, but is more concerned about the space between? What happens if God's going, I'm actually not that concerned about the outcome you get, what I'm really concerned about is the distance between where you are and the outcome you should get to. But that doesn't feel to me like Hebrews 11.1. 1, because Hebrews 11.1 1 feels to me like as long as I have hope and confidence, the outcome should come. But let's push on. Not all of this will be on the screen, just some key points. Listen to this. So it says, in Hebrews 11.3... By faith we understand that God created the universe; He commanded it, so that we, um, what was not made, out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. Something weird's happening here. I'm going to draw on it. So by faith Abel brought something. Carries on. By faith he was commended as righteousness when God spoke over what he brought. By faith Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was not taken from this life because he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him. Carries on going. By faith, without it, it's impossible to please God because anybody who comes to him must believe he exists and they must reward those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark. Hopefully, you're beginning to see something here. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive an inheritance, obeyed, and went. And there's something happening here, which is that every time someone is saying, by faith, there is an action that follows. They had to do something. There isn't a person in here who's going, and by faith, they just believed, and then God did this outcome. It was by faith Noah built an ark. By faith Abraham left the place where he was. By faith Abel, came, uh, Abel, um, yeah, Abel brought God an offering. There's something interesting happening here for me. Because it kind of feels like we've ended up at a place where we think God is ultimately concerned about our outcome. And as long as we believe enough, he's going to do it. But whenever I read this, it feels like God is ultimately concerned about our next step and whether or not we'll actually do what he's asking us to do, irrespective maybe of the outcome. It's interesting because that actually kind of carries on in Hebrews 11, and we go through all of these big measures of faith that's happening. And we get to this place where, um, if you bring it up, um, Josh, Hebrews 11.13, it says this in Hebrews 11.13. What more shall I say? Um, Sorry, 11.13, thank you. All of these people were still living by faith when they died, but they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So we hit Hebrews 11:13, and something's shifted. Because in Hebrews 11:1, we're told, "Here is faith: be certain of what you don't see; hope for, just be certain of these things, and you're there." Hebrews 11:13 goes, "They all had faith when they died, but none of them got what the outcome that they had been promised of. They didn't get it, but they could see it in the distance." Weird, because you may be at a place where you're going, I'm really certain God's going to do this. But maybe a little more forward, you go, but maybe he doesn't do it in my lifetime, but I see he's going to do it in my kids. I see he's going to do it in the future. But it doesn't end there. Hebrews 11 carries on going. Hopefully, you're still all tracking with me. Hebrews 11 carries on, and it talks about all these people, and then we get to this place I'm towards the back. And actually, Josh, can you just throw it up for me? It'll be the next verse on. Hebrews 11:32, And it says this. What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. Sorry, Josh, can you click it on? Uh, and to the next one. They quenched the fury of the flames and escalated the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. 11.35 Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Listen to this then. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning they were sworded in two. They were killed by the sword. This is all in the Bible, by the way. I haven't rewritten this. This is actually what happened. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, gestitude, persecuted, and mistreated. Listen to this. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountain caves um, and lived in holes and caves in the ground. Don't click it on, Josh. Don't click it on yet. Just hold it to there. These are the people the world were not worthy of. They went through horrendous persecution. They went through horrendous hardship, horrendous struggle, waiting. And they're called people of faith. And listen to what it says in Hebrews 11:39. 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Click on T40. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Well, there seems to be a shift again here. Certainty and hope get the outcome. Certainty and hope, but the outcome's going to come, but probably not in my lifetime. Certainty and hope, no outcome. It's 38. They did not get what was promised. These are the people of faith. I hope you can see the debate me and my wife were starting to have at this point. What does it mean for us to be a faithful people? Displaying the fruits of faithfulness in our lives. The people here who didn't get the promise, these are the people the world was not worthy of. They never got what was promised, but they could see it on the horizon. I'm going to get what I was promised. And yet somehow I think we've all ended up here, where God commends the people who are here. And I just wonder, if this is faithfulness, if this is faithfulness, If God goes, I'm not concerned by the outcome, but I am concerned about the space between the certainty and hope you have and whether you get to the outcome or not. What will you do in between the space? James tells us, Do you want to see somebody who has faith? I will show you somebody who has deeds, works, doing. Do you want to see somebody who really has belief and goes, I'm all in for God. I am certain of everything God is going to do. I'm certain of every promise God has given me. He's going, well, I will then show you somebody who has works, These two things are interconnected, and this caused more debate between me and my wife. You see, can I have faith without deeds? Can you say you believe without doing? And actually, can you say you'll do without believing? James seems to be making an argument that they're connected together, But yet somehow I think we've reached a point where we think God is so concerned with the outcome that as long as we fill this faith bucket enough, He's going to do it. So growing up, I was in a church, um, a Pentecostal church, um, and I I was at Bible college. I didn't grow up in a Pentecostal church. I grew up in a very anti-Pentecostal church, but once I was in Bible college, and was really beginning to experience the Holy Spirit. I ended up in a Pentecostal church. And there was this lady there. Her name was Penny. Amazing lady who um, contracted cancer. And the entire church probably spent the best part of five years praying for her. Believing for her healing. Believing with certainty and hope that God was going to heal her. And every time that we prayed for healing, every time she was anointed to be healed, every time we did anything we needed to do, when there wasn't that healing, the underlying sense was not enough faith. It's hard because she died. She wasn't healed Ironically, she was probably one of the only people in the church towards the end who was saying, I don't believe God wants to heal me, and it's okay. And she had an amazing testimony of what God was doing through her while she was going through horrendous pain and hardship. And yet the underlying idea here was not enough faith rather than how faithful are you being? Well, if we can get more of this untangibly thing called faith, we'll move God to do it. As if God's primary concern is going, get the bucket a bit fuller and I'm going to give you what you want, rather than going, I don't care how full you make this bucket. The outcome is not what's important. It's the space between there's a pattern in the bible that whenever god does something big for god's people do you know what it's followed by and then they went and sinned think about that god leads the people out of egypt He frees them from slavery. He's providing food for them miraculously. He's leading them by a pillar of fire at night and smoke during the day. They are seeing an ocean, a sea split apart. They want to go back to Egypt? Sin. They build a false god to worship? Sin. And when the promise of God is presented to them, do you know what they say? No, God can't do it. God's like, cool, go back to the desert. It's weird. There is a pattern in the Bible where whenever the big outcome hits, the people of God normally respond in the same way. Cool, let's go on our own and do whatever we like. And yet we think God is primarily concerned by the outcome. So he has the poke. He has the provoke. He has the lots of complaint emails. What if every promise God's given you, every affirmation God's put out for you, everything God says he's going to do, he ends up not doing? Will you still be faithful? Certainty? Certainty didn't happen, but I could see it happening. Certainty did not get the promise. Will you still be faithful? What happens if God is way less concerned? with our lives than we are, and more concerned with us living our life for Him. What happens if God's going, do you know what? You are not the center of your story at all. Jesus is the center of your story. And so will you stay faithful even if you don't get the promise? I find this so challenging for me because I don't know. I want to be the guy who says, yes, I will. But I know that the certainty outcome will inspire me. This is not inspiring. Hey, come after Jesus and maybe he'll do nothing for you. Let's go. Keep reading your Bible every day. And maybe, just maybe, he won't talk to you. Keep reading it every day. I don't find this inspiring. Keep praying every day. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your family. Pray for your healing. Pray for your struggles. And maybe he won't do it. Keep going. I, I'm, I'm not this guy. But Hebrews 11 says, these are the people that the world wasn't worthy of wow I'm more comfortable maybe being this guy well I can see you're going to do it maybe not for me but at least for my kids so I may be a bit more comfortable there but ultimately God I'm really a Hebrews like one kind of guy that's me right now I have the faith I have the charity yeah, I'm all good come on do it <laughs> And yet, I think this is exactly who God is calling most Christians to be. This. I think this is who God's calling you to be. Irrespective of the outcome, irrespective of whether you get the promise or not, irrespective of whether God does what He said He would do or not, will you remain faithful to Him? Will you remain faithful? To him, show me someone who has faith, and I will show you someone who has deeds, who has works. And so here's probably what I'm fighting for: boredom, boredom. Uh, many, many years ago, when I was a lot younger, I was a youth worker, and I went into a church, and it was a real issue because there was about six kids or so who were at the youth club. And they were having an amazing time, milkshakes and games and everything. And I came in, I was deeply dissatisfied because no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't get more young people to come. So one day I thought, this is a lot of work and I cannot be bothered to do it. So I met with the team and I said, we're stopping everything. We're still going to run youth club, we're just stopping everything else. So we're not making milkshakes. And they said, so what will we do? And I said, I have an idea, but I don't know if it'll work. We probably need to wait about two years to see. You see what I did there? Don't talk to me about this for two years and then we'll see what happens. And I said, we're gonna do nothing for two years. We're just gonna create a space for young people to come down and hang out. And so we went for our first week and by about week nine, I think we went from eight to about five, so it wasn't a great start. The the church was getting pretty agitated, what is happening here, and especially the leader of the church was getting super agitated, and I was like, two years, but I think this is going to be something. We ended the first year, and we probably had a consistent about six young people come in. Alongside this, once a week, every week, we would take those six young people on a Sunday and we did one message with them. For nearly two years, we only preached on love your neighbor as yourself. And when I say we only preached on love your neighbor as yourself, it's the only thing we spoke about. Trying to come up, with around about 40 different ways to teach love your neighbor as yourself was a challenge. But it's what we did. We hit the end of our first year, maybe six on average. And then something happened. Someone brought their friend. And they sat in a circle on the floor in a hall we hired with nothing in it and started to talk. Three months later, we had 30 kids coming down, talking, doing nothing. A year later, 120 young people coming down, talking, doing nothing. And this started to get other people really interested. What was the key? What was the breakthrough? What was the golden bullet, Richard, that you used to get all of these young people to start engaging again? And all I had was boredom. We made it so boring that they could only do the one thing that was going to work, talk to each other, and bring their friends because they were so bored. And it was a gamble because I knew at least six to seven of those kids' parents would force them to come because those parents wanted the night off. So I knew they would be there, but I was amazed. Because all of a sudden, none of the fanciness, none of the heart, none of the anything was important. Understand that you need to love others as you love yourself. This is who Jesus is teaching you to be. And Be bored. Let's see what Jesus can do. What happens if this is the Christian life? Instead of waiting for the big miracles, the big testimonies, The inspiring stories that blow our minds. God's going, I'm more concerned with the places where you are bored. Just be faithful and bored. And it's a good thing. Because most of your life, to be honest, is boring. Like mine. There are moments of excitement and moments of sadness. And normally we can remember those moments, but there is an entire lifetime which is just boring. And that's a good thing. And I honestly think that that's exactly the space where God's going, here is faithfulness. When you're bored, if you can just keep plodding after God. Keep putting Jesus in the center of your heart and keep responding to his Holy Spirit. That's faithfulness. It's faithfulness. And you know what? Whether you get it, whether you kind of get it, or whether you don't get it at all, it's about how faithful you are in the journey it's about how faithful you are in the boredom of your everyday life this is the fruit of faithfulness it's not about i'm going to set out and change everything i'm going to step into my office place and go look i have all this faith now i am faithful to do and your whole place has changed it's about going god whether you do it whether you kind of do it or whether you don't do it is going to make no difference to me because tomorrow i'm going to be obedient and do what you tell me and the next day i'm going to be obedient and do what you tell me and the following day i'm going to be obedient and do what you tell me and whether that's living in a cave, getting sawed into, would you know what? Just reading and praying my Bible. Just talking to my friends about Jesus. Just being honoring to the people around me. Just loving my spouse how I should. Being generous with my finances. I'm just going to be obedient to you. I'm going to be faithful. And I think that it's in this measure of faithful that God goes, this exactly what I desired, because it's about what you do it's about what you do faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction it's a long obedience in the same direction Uh, Ben do you want to come up One of my lecturers at Bible College used to tell me the Christian life is like a mountain. You go up, sometimes you go along, sometimes you've got to go down a bit and you've got to go back up so that you can reach the summit. And he goes, most people spend all of their time Trying to go, how quickly can I get to the summit? When what's most important to God is just, are you heading there? Stop worrying about the outcomes, worry about the faithfulness in between. God may do something for you in a moment. That's amazing that's miraculous and that's exciting and god made you nothing for you that's amazing that's still miraculous that's still exciting because what's important is the journey in between being faithful is the fruit of the Spirit faithfulness so I invite you to come and live a life of boredom I invite you to come and live a life that may not be inspiring I come and invite you to live a life where the testimony you share may never be broadcast on any radio or TV station because it is uneventful I invite you to come and live a life of faithfulness not to try and get from God not to try and convince him to do something not to try and move him simply because he's going come and be obedient come and live come and surrender I was chatting with Dom about this uh, preach and I said I don't quite know what to do at the end because how do you pitch to people that maybe for some of us the best thing that's going to happen at the end of all of this is that we die it feels like really anticlimactic it doesn't feel like an exciting preach it doesn't feel like an inspiring end but I was just thinking about it What happens if at the end of your story, where Jesus is the center, where every day you've just proved faithful to Him and followed His obedience and followed the Spirit's leading, and what happens if at the end of that you reach the end and nothing eventful has happened? But what if God... Even sometimes the people around you turned and looked and said, The world was not worthy of that person. Would that not be enough? Would it not be enough? More and more I'm drawn to these people because more and more I feel like it's real. Does God do miraculous things in a moment? A hundred percent. And there are people in this room who can testify to that. Does God do things and keep promises that go beyond a lifetime? A hundred percent true. Because there are people in this room who can testify to that. And sometimes does it seem like God does absolutely nothing? Yes, true. Because there are people in this room who can testify to that. But the world isn't worthy of them I don't know this is where I landed with my wife do I want the miraculous 100% would I love to know that things that maybe didn't come true in my lifetime will come true in my kids 100% but would I want God to look at me and go the world wasn't worthy of you because of your faithfulness 1000% I would want to land there 1000% I'd want Jesus to go you are faithful you are faithful and that's good enough that's good enough so the fruit of the spirit is faithfulness or faith whether God does it for you Whether God does it for the people following you or whether God never does it, it doesn't make a difference. What does make a difference is what you do in between. I'm going to invite you to stand and I'm going to pray. So, God, I come to you with a non inspiring message of boredom. I come to you with a message, God, where I have no inspirational story. I have no, wow, and then this will happen. But just simply, God, with Hebrews 11, people who saw you do something immediately, people who you saw do something in the next moments that followed their life, and people who just never saw you do anything. And yet I know in between all of that, God, what you're calling people to ongoingly is faithfulness. Because for every one of those people you commend as faith, it was the actions they did, how they lived their lives, their obedience to you. And so Jesus, I come today for myself and I'd invite you to pray for yourself this prayer. Whether I see every promise you've given me manifest in the here and now. Whether I can see some of the promises you've given me coming into fruition only in my kids. Or God, whether I see none of the promises you've given to me ever come to pass. I want to commit myself to be faithful. To just live with obedience after you every day. To just follow you, Jesus, and live for you, Jesus. Amen.